I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. It sure is. We're still in the closet for the first time together. I know. Very exciting. We've moved on from champagne to red wine. So and a little and a little water for myself. You know, gotta stay hydrated. That's wise. But you have to drive. I don't. I don't have to go anywhere after this. I know exactly. Max was like, "You're gonna be uh, like drinking, and then you're gonna drive." I'm like, "I've drank at home and then driven places. I'm not, and I didn't like get." Drunk then, like I'm right. not gonna get drunk now. For the record, we're not advocating drunk no, driving. No, no, no. But like I've had like a glass of wine at home and then went to go like grab dinner and come home. Like, sure, and then fine. Sure, absolutely. I'm gonna be just fine. Absolutely. I am the most like dehydrated per dehydrated person most of the time. So I've been trying to get better about drinking water, especially if I'm drinking alcohol because I drink so much coffee in the morning and then wine at night that I need to like not be killing my body. So. Yeah, I really feel like I'm dehydrating my skin because I do the same thing. The first thing I do is I wake up and I drink coffee, and then I usually end the night by having a glass of wine or whatever. And I do try and drink water during the day, but I I really feel like I'm an all-or-nothing kind of person. I'll drink water when I'm working out, but outside of that, I'm really like, I can go most of the day without having a lot until the end of the night, or I will drink a gallon of water a day. See, I'm like, I won't drink any water during the day, and then when I take my pills at night, I'll realize how thirsty I am, and I'll drink, like, an entire large, like, big gulp of water, and then have to piss in the middle of the night. See, that's my problem, is I always get thirsty at night. I want to drink water at night, but then I'm, like, doing the calculus in my head. I'm, like, that meme of that woman trying to do math. Yeah. Of, like, how much... 
how close to bed can I drink where I can get it all out before I go to bed because I don't want to have to get up in the middle of the night and go pee. But, like, I read this thing. It was... I didn't read it. That's a lie. I think I saw this on Instagram, but it was a TikTok video where it was, like, a doctor talking about how getting up to pee in the middle of the night isn't your bladder waking you up. It's, like, your lack of a healthy sleep cycle that's waking you up. And you have to pee. So, I'm like, I guess that makes sense. I've been a total insomniac this entire pandemic so i want to keep every possible way of me waking up as far away from me as possible when i go to bed (laughs) girl i know we need to get started on the episode but i do want to say like anthony and i had like a tiff last weekend and we talked about it with our couple therapist (laughs) because it's it's so silly but like it was legit an issue for us because he talks in his sleep i've talked about that before and he snores Mm -hmm. like loudly And I don't sleep well. I have a really... I I have a problem with waking up in the middle of the night and then, like, not being able to go back to sleep for a couple of hours. Right. And I hadn't slept well the night before, and then I was like, okay, I took, like, some Z-Quil. I was that determined. I'm like, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Oh, no. Slept well. He woke me up snoring at, like, Mm 3.30. And then I kept, like, waking him up to turn him over. He oh, kept God. snoring. It was so loud. And then he was talking in his sleep oh, as well. No. And so then morning came, and his alarm went off at, like, 6.30, but he kept hitting the snooze. So his yeah. alarm came off, went off every 10 minutes. I'm Anthony. I'm Anthony, and Max is you. I'm so sorry, honey. I love you. It's it's okay generally. <laughs> it's just not okay if I've been woken up yeah, every yeah, yeah. 15 minutes for the last five hours. Oh, my God. And so then at, like, 7.30, he started talking like full-throated speaking and I was just like what do you want what are you saying I woke him up and I was like what are you saying and then he got mad because I woke him up like that but I'm also like I have been so sleep deprived for the last five hours poor baby (laughs) Oh my gosh, no, I'm laughing because I feel it so hard, and Max and I, neither of us are morning people, you don't want to wake us up and have conversations with us, so we have probably the worst arguments we've ever had have been in the middle of the night, and then we go to sleep and wake up and forget that it happens, because we're both the biggest bitches when we're tired, or if we've been woken up. We're both horrible human beings, we forgive each other for it, you know, whatever, but that's the thing is, like, when... I can't sleep, and because I can't sleep, I wake him up, and then he's like, "I now I can't go back to sleep. I totally get it. He is the lightest sleeper in the world, and I can sleep through anything. See, yes, we're the opposite. I, yeah. I can't sleep through anything, and he can sleep through everything. I've slept through, like, all of... Most of the earthquakes that I've lived through in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I've slept through. I, I really can't sleep through anything except for my own anxiety. <laughs> it's my own stress that wakes me up, and then I'm just like... Up, and then I'll be awake from like 4 a.m. till 8 a.m. and then I'll have to sleep until like 10 or something. Get a La- little nap lack in there. Lack of sleep is real, man. Have you it seen is these real. bags under my, my eyes? I never used to have such dark circles under my eyes. Concealer. I'm wearing concealer. Okay, anyway. <laughs> all of Wait, this... what are we doing? I thought we were just talking and hanging out. Or it's, oh, there's a microphone here. Wait, we're supposed to be doing something. Anyway, I hope you liked that insight into our lives slash relationships, especially when it comes to sleeping. And I want to tell you listeners what my therapist told me, and that is not to trivialize your feelings around sleep, because sleep is really important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I 
I will tell anybody this. I prioritize sleep over most things in life. I slept through my senior year football game and homecoming dance. Didn't mean to. Didn't set an alarm. I was so tired from staying up all night the night before that I didn't even care. Like, I have always prioritized sleep over, like, pretty much anything else. You know who doesn't get a lot of sleep? Moms. Moms! Moms don't get a lot of sleep. I remember my mom... My little brothers were born... My mom did back-to-back kids. So me and my older brother are 11 months apart. And then my two younger brothers, 10 years later, 9 years later, are 20 months apart. And so they were both babies, basically. Uh, And my mom was a single mom because my dad was deployed. And I remember... I'd never seen my mom really have, like, a moment of weakness. Yeah. And I was probably, like, 12, maybe? Maybe 13, when she was crying. She was crying because she was tired. Like, that's what she said. She was like... She was... And I remember thinking that was so weird at the time that I'm just like, why are you so emotional about being tired? Yeah. And I I understand it more now, but I do not understand it the way that she meant it because I'm not a mom. Yeah. And I can't imagine being a single mother of two young, young children who keep waking you up, like, and you're not even getting, like, a full hour sleep? Well, you're not... I mean, we're, t- we're talking about sleep here, so especially if we're talking about, like, caring for other lives, it is so hard to do that. And the only time that I've ever even come close to having, like, a mom-in-training moment was when I was working for I'll Be Proud. She was out of town, and her husband didn't want to be alone with the two kids under two, so I had to live at the house for, like, five nights. And it was a newborn, four-month-old, who had serious health issues, and then a two-year-old. And the two-year-old pretty much slept through the night, but I was getting up. I was going up and down the steps with the newborn every hour, pretty much, and I was there for five days straight, and the dad really doesn't take care of the kids during the day. I did. So I was, like, in my pajamas until, like, four, when both of them were, uh, like, nap at the same time. I take a quick shower, but I had to have, like, the monitor near me. Like, that. that is, like, a little taste taste of mm-hmm. what it's like, and I, that is the thing. If you have young kids one after another, I mean, I give you all the props in the world for being able to cope with that because having two young kids that need so much from you who can't do anything themselves, it really does. And I, and I feel like it's, it's the lack of sleep and it's also like the lack of autonomy. Mm -hmm. I feel like because you're fully giving everything in your life to these two completely needy humans that actually need you for everything. To survive. Yeah. Yeah. I told you, I think before on one of our motherhood episodes, that I love my mom. Always a disclaimer. I love her so much. She is a good mom. All of those things. She had, she was in her early, early 20s. She had me when she was 22 and she had two children, uh, back-to-back in less than a year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we were less than a year apart. So I, I, I say all that to, you know, as a disclaimer, because she did say to me, I was colicky. I cried 
constantly. There was there's no soothing a colicky baby. It doesn't really matter. The baby really that woke me up was colicky as well. Yeah. Right. And mom, my mom told me she was just like, I never understood why people shook their babies. Yeah. Until I had you, and she was like, <laughs> until I held you. Right. Which <laughs> sounds mean, but no, I, but it's so real. It's real. It's just real. And I understood it, and she she said it in the context of I don't know how people do motherhood without support because she yeah. was lucky enough to have my dad's parents and her mom nearby, uh, near-ish, where she could ask for support and ask for help because she had a one-year-old as well. And not everybody has that kind of support system. Yeah. Uh, so kudos. First of all, this is a motherhood episode. It's a Mother's Day episode. And so we'll start off by saying kudos to all you mothers out there. Yes. We know it's a hard job. Yes. One of the hardest, really. I mean, you know, so since we're kind of talking about our moms to start out with this, like, it's funny because I'm an only child. My mom had me later in life. Um, my dad worked constantly. My dad was never home. And it's so funny, you know, I finally found the little USBs that I had of my home videos that I'd lost for like a year and a half. And it's so funny because there's so many videos where it's just my mom with a camera recording me by myself doing something. But I was like her only little buddy. Like it was me and her mm -hmm. all the time. We did everything together. I did have daycare and things like that. But like her parents, you know, her father died when I was really young. Her mom was never physically and mentally capable to help take care of me. So my mom really was on her own a lot too. And I would have to go with her places all the time. And I think about how lonely she must have felt and especially you know she would always tell me you know I'd cook dinner and I'd get everything ready and then your dad just like wouldn't show up and come home when the one person that you have is your your partner hopefully mm -hmm. unless you're a single parent that you can feel like a, a grown-up again because mm -hmm. I know for me in my job that's something that has been hard it's like I need to talk to a like a grown-up human being right now instead of a child because I it's got to be the most isolating and lonely thing. As much as you love your child, there is a need it's for... It's not an adult. Yeah. It's not an adult, and, and, it's, and you're, playing, you're playing a separate part of yourself. Like, being a mother, of course, I feel like is part of who you are, but there's so much more to being a mother than just birthing and taking care of your children, and that's kind of when I think about the whole idea of motherhood and feminism because we always talk about feminism being so much about choices yes and i feel like for so long it wasn't even really you know we we just talked about the duggers on our mini episode yes uh there wasn't really a choice as to whether or not you were going to have kids or not that was never even a thought for you to have your own autonomy to say no i'm going to be a good mother and i would really love to have these kids right i think that's something that is changing where women aren't having to feel so like confined into having to have kids but I think because that was something that was so tied to the identity of quote-unquote womanhood for so long and still is in our culture that it's so uh, just from the moms that I know I've seen how easy it is for them to feel like they're losing a part of themselves in order to be the best moms I'm, that they can be I'm not gonna lie I mean I was having this conversation with Anthony earlier when I was kind of, like, working through the prep I was doing, the articles I was reading in preparation for this episode. I, if you'd asked me as a kid if I would have thought that I would be childless with no real, 
idea about like when or if I will have children in the future at 31, I would have said no. I would have said that I definitely would have been yeah. a mom at this time in my life. Um, well, I wanted to be a mom by like 23 when I was a kid. Uh, I was like, but I'm going to get kid. the house across from my mom's house and I'm going to have, you know, like when it you're was a the kid, idea. <laughs> 25 seems old, you know yeah, what I mean? exactly. And, and then you grow up, you know, but... I do think that there is something to be said for this new generation. So this episode, we're going to be talking about feminism in relation to motherhood. And I do think that it's interesting the way that the culture has shifted in that you do now have the opportunity because of things like feminism uh, and other movements uh, along with that to make a calculated choice and decision about when and if motherhood is a good choice for you. Yeah. I think I would be a super rad mom. Uh, totally you would be. Under the right circumstances. Uh, well, and that's the thing is that I, if I love you as a person, I think that you would be a great parent. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that you need to be a good, a good loving human being and be able to give that love to another child to be able to be a good parent. But I think that my idea of another person being a good parent is different from another person's actual desire to want to parent and to be fully ready for it. And, you know, I have a couple friends who are like, no, I'm not having kids. And I know that for like their families back home that aren't in Los Angeles, that's still the line that I hear a lot from my friends is like, oh, just wait. Uh, just yes. wait, yeah, like, yeah. you'll get that, mm -hmm. like, you know, thing one day. I mean, I my uterus has been telling me to make babies since I got my period. I am baby crazy all the time. Um, but for some women, they are just not. And to tell them that, like, oh, just wait, like, in a few years, you'll, you'll start to get you that, know, you know, urge or whatever. I think it's just such a huge, like, blanket statement to make about... It's invalidating. Quote, unquote, women yeah. that, you know, it, it really is. It's like, well, no, I know, I know how I feel more than you know how I feel, you know? Well... I, I actually envy people who fall on one side of the spectrum or the other. Like, you fall on the spectrum of, like, I want to be a mom. I'm and I, crazy. I know I want to be a mom. Uh, my good friend, since we were 11, has been telling me, I do not want to birth a child. That is amazing. And, and is, she, is Sienna? Yes. I was yeah. gonna, that is so badass for her to know since she was, like, 11. I don't think that's a very common yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, and we've had, we had conversations recently, and she's a year older than me, and we've had conversations semi-recently where she has reiterated that, like, if I could get my tubes tied right now as, a, as you know, she has a fiancé and all of that stuff, if I could do that now, I, I would do that. Like, she still feels the same way that she did. That did not change for her. I realize it changes for some people, but she has that clarity. I don't have clarity on either side of the coin. For yeah. me, for me, it's more of a situational thing. I, I will not have a child in the situation I am in now. I have a great yeah. job. I have a, a totally fine life, but I do not have a life that is conducive to raising a child. Like, I live in a one-bedroom apartment. We both have to work to yeah. support ourselves. We yeah. cannot have... And see, that's where my deepest fears lie, because I'm like, I want to be a mom so bad, but I'm like, I'm not going to bring a kitten to this world if I'm like, here's your laundry basket to sleep in, in our studio home. Like, it's But just, you know what? People make it work. People, people totally make it work. Would I be able to make it work? No, I would be a basket case. <laughs> I would be... If I had a kid, I would either need to move closer to my mom, that's just the truth, so that she could help me, or we would need to be making a lot more money. 
Yeah. My mom is almost 70. I don't even know how much help she would be at this point. I feel like she would just be, like, off in her own little world while babysitting. I'm just kidding, Mom. You're not that old. I love you. (laughs) Well, okay. So let's jump into some of the topics surrounding feminism and motherhood. Let's do it. Shall we? Yeah. So I read a really interesting article. It was actually, like, a scholarly paper. And it was called... And I don't love this. I don't love co-opting... I don't love co-opting Ain't I a Woman, because that is what happened here. I say yes. By a, a, by a white woman. A white woman yeah. wrote a um, scholarly paper called Ain't I a Feminist? Matricentric Feminism, Feminist Mamas, and Why Mothers Need a Feminist Movement slash Theory of Their Own. While I don't love the title, yeah. the paper itself was actually really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what she's saying in this paper is that just as though there are other intersectional forms of feminism that focus on certain groups, there's queer feminism, there is womanism or black feminism that focus on other marginalized groups within feminism, kind of in an intersectional lens, Uh that mothers need their own kind of branch of feminism. And I see your face, Madigan, and I understand why. I'm making an I smelled something bad face. (laughs) However, I kind of agree with her. I do kind of agree with her because I feel like second and third wave feminism, which are the have it all, women can have it all, um, waves of feminism, have kind of left mothers behind because mothers do face very specific challenges that other women who are not mothers do not face. And so while it's not the same... To me, the thing... uh, Maybe it was the way that you were uh, phrasing, you know, just like we have, you know, black feminism. Well, that's how she phrased it. (laughs) That's that's why that seems icky to me, because if you're... uh, this. Motherhood is not a marginalized group of people. That's, that's, I think, what what throws me about what you just said, because while I do... I, I do completely agree that mothers have been absent from that. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of very radical feminist uh, people and views out there from the past. Like there was a woman named Shulamith Firestone that argued that women would never be truly free of the patriarchy until we were free from the yoke of reproduction. And she imagined of a time when babies could be made in mechanical uteruses. Mm. Now, that is like... One whole, you know, obviously far side of of feminism and things like that. So, but I don't. Okay, I don't know. I just, I, mm-hmm. I just don't think that there needs to be a whole other, like, I guess. I don't want to say there shouldn't be another movement because I guess I don't really have a say in that. But I think for me, it should just be that the feminist movement should be more welcoming in general to different types of choices that women make because I guess the point I was trying to make is that there's this idea of feminism especially being very, very radical from like the second and third waves where I feel like there was almost this uh, push for women to not live that typical life of being a wife and a mother, which is why it makes possibly could make feminist circles be uncomfortable for someone who has chosen those those things for their lives. I agree, but I can also see the other side of it. You know, having spoken to women who consider themselves feminists, who I consider feminists, who became mothers, mm-hmm. they did 
feel somewhat left behind by the feminist movement. And there are things that I feel like the feminist movement overlooks when it comes to domestic life, like when it comes to motherhood and things like that. Like, we will talk pretty soon. I mean, you were talking about your mom and how difficult it was for her when your dad would leave for work. And there's a lot of statistics surrounding inequity in home life, in, you know, the the distribution of emotional, mental labor that goes along with being at home as well and being responsible for that. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of what you're saying, though, is reminding me of Betty Friedan and the Feminine Mystique. Sure. Because to me, that was kind of her whole awakening into feminism was that she was a divorced woman with children at home and she was feeling suddenly like she had all this responsibility and she was more than just a mother. So I'm not trying to say, like, no, a separate movement or whatever is, like, a totally bad idea. But I guess for me, it kind of seems like there's there needs to just be a more open conversation i feel like in the feminist movement in general but then i also feel like there's already been some conversation about that in like the women's liberation movement right but era. i feel like the women's liberation movement because it was okay so how, how am i going to phrase this so <laughs> that wasn't anti motherhood of course right. because it was focusing on mostly middle class white women who were mothers right however it was basically saying motherhood isn't all you are, which is very true. Right. However, when it did that, and especially moving into the third wave, I feel like what it did was it almost trivialized motherhood motherhood in general, right? right? Like, so it almost swung really far, not really far because that was what was needed, right? Right. That's the conversation that needed to happen, but it pulled so far away. It, It focused so much on... We need to try and get women in the workforce and get equality in that way, which I completely agree. But then what happened there is like, okay, so now we've gotten women in the workforce. Yeah. Where we're trying to work for equality in this way, but we're also disregarding that they are still moms. So like, so what happens there, like we, we we move into this like power suit, 1980s kind of third wave feminism, have it all mentality that disregards what that does to the mental health of a woman when really in society, women are still responsible for so much of well, the domestic labor. That well, that's happens. what I was going to say is that that to me is like one of the hugest issues with with the patriarchy is this lack of like working together when it comes to like male female partnerships i feel like throughout yes. history and like because motherhood you know and again just to kind of get personal when my mom was pregnant with me she waited a while before she told my dad because my dad told her she didn't want kids so she was like hey by the way i'm pregnant and he and my mom essentially made an agreement that my mom would raise me and he would make the money so that's why I'm as fucked up as I am today. <laughs> Hi, everybody! Um, but that was, it was because my mom was like, this is what I want. I'm going to be the mom. And to her, she's like, well, I'm going to be everything. I'm going to I'm gonna work. I'm going to be the mom. I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to do all the stuff that I need to do. And he's not going to feel like he has to put the work in. And I think that that is something that women have had put on them forever that if, that if they're going to have the kids then it's their sole responsibility to do the parenting and the dad can either be like the cool fun dad or he's going to be the disciplinarian or things like that right. but the sole responsibility of the raising is in the eyes of the mother in in a patriarchal society right i mean and so okay so 
I, I want to speak to that, but just to wrap it up, <laughs> as far as, like, matricentric feminism goes. Totally, yeah. As, as far as my thoughts on that go, I don't... I agree with you that I don't think it is the same. I don't think it needs to be in the same realm as like other forms of intersectional feminism. Yeah, that just However, sounds to me. It, it it sounds weird. However, I do think that there needs to be more support. Mm-hmm. I think that there needs to be feminist circles that support mothers specifically yeah. like and what it is mom like groups and stuff. Right. You know? What it is like to be a mother and a feminist. Like yeah. I think that that is is super important. But let's talk about inequity that mothers face. Now, in general, I would say that this is something that happens just because of the way that Western societies, American societies, especially is what I'm speaking to, because that's what we have experience with, um, the way that they are set up, (laughs) you know, gender issues are are set up within families, just period. I feel like those are compounded once you have a child and become a mother, uh, that there is a lot of inequity within the home where women are taking on a lot more labor and this leads to a lot more burnout. Yeah. So ONS data from 2016 showed that British men reported putting in an average of 16 hours a week in domestic toil, including childcare, which was up massively from 1971. 16 hours? Come mm-hmm. on. But in 1971, it was an hour and 20 minutes. Oh my yes. god! Oh, that hurts my heart! But even though men are now putting in 16 hours, it still falls woefully behind the 26 hours a week that British women spend laboring to keep things running smoothly within the home. In America, men contribute seven hours a week to women's 17. Mm -mm -mm. In France, it's 10 hours to women's 20. And in Portugal, women contribute 22 hours to men's 3.5. Come on. And you know, I feel like with that, it's such a horrible, vicious cycle. And, And that's why, you know, I read an article about, you know, how mothers can raise, like how feminist mothers can raise feminist sons. And I feel like it's such this vicious cycle with this idea that like men don't have to take responsibility for the home or for the raising of their kids is so beyond me because they're just as much yours as they are the woman who right and you absolutely care how they turn out so you should have a hand in how they turn out yeah exactly and i mean and i i really enjoyed reading the article because that is something i've thought about where you know and i remember you talking about um your friend vanessa a while ago and how when she before she had her first child she was like oh i don't i don't want a girl because that would be you know it would be so stressful but then oh being a boy it's like i have the responsibility now to Mm -hmm. make sure i'm teaching this boy to be respectful and to understand all the things that, you know, we go through and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And so there was a few things that they were saying are important in order to help feminist parents. I'm not just going to say mothers, but feminist parents raise, quote-unquote, feminist kids. And a lot of this I really agree with, and I think it's super easy. Like, starting early, um, they were saying that kids start to notice gender differences when they're about two and a half, and then by the time they're... um, like in kindergarten, they're able to say like, "This is a girl toy. This is a bad t- or a pet a boy toy." Oh, wow, <laughs> girls are good, boys are bad. Um, Just kidding. Oh God, I don't want to perpetuate that either. That was something that I had to nip in the bud with the kids in the pod that would do like 
girls go to Mars to get candy bars. And I was like, stop doing that shit. We're past that, everybody. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, there's this idea of starting young about conversations between like, well, why why is that a girl toy or why is that a boy toy? Why do we have to put things, you know, questioning things when they're young, keeping things in context is really important and also showing positive examples. And they're saying that instead of like sitting down and being like, let's have a conversation about what it means to be a good person in this world or what it means to be a feminist person in this world, pointing things out as they come up. If your child says something that you feel is inappropriate, nipping it in the bud and things like that. Because to me, I, I feel like this is such a cycle of um you know the patriarchy telling men that they don't have to be involved in domestic chores because that's what they've been taught so in order for that to change i feel like it's the responsibility of both the mother and the father to show a a positive representation of what a healthy parent relationship would be and to also like together work with their children to make sure that they're understanding the things that you find the most important and values too absolutely and i do know that it is getting better over the last 30 years men have increased their share of household labor primarily spending more time with their children and on housework but it's still as i said earlier it's still not an equal distribution of labor, um, and despite the fact that 72% of mothers with children at home are employed, U.S. child care policies have not improved, which this is a big, a big problem. In the United States especially, it is abysmal and shocking. Well, and that's, I think, another thing that was making me think of the women's liberation movement, because that was something that was brought up at the time, and I don't think has really I'm sure it has been brought up since then about, you know, the prices of childcare and government support and things like that. I think we may have actually discussed something similar to that on a mini episode. I'm getting a flashback right now. Um, But it's true. There really is a lack of, like, support for parents out there who need to go to work and have their kids. Because I think that that's the biggest thing for me is it's like, well, I wouldn't be able to stop working if I had a kid because you need two incomes to be able to support the child. Or or family members who are willing to watch your kids for free because child care is in insanely expensive i was a nanny i know <laughs> and i like you know but it's one of those things where it's like and then if you're putting your kid in daycare you're almost having to work more hours to afford a hundred percent and that's mm-hmm. i always thought that with me i'm like wouldn't it just be cheaper to have me less hours and but you're just like be let's home? not think about it yeah exactly i'm not gonna bring it up though you know no but, trust me i mean i i got paid not as well as i should have been for what i was doing but like daycares nannies child care is such a huge expense. Luckily, you can write some of it off on your taxes, but it's nowhere near enough. Well, and another problem is that in, in luckily, businesses are starting to come around and companies are starting to come around to allowing paternity leave, uh, where they will allow, like, up, Warner Brothers, I think, allows up to three months for paternity leave. And, um, but that's a, ve- a very new thing. Yeah. And, and in the past, it was basically... Women were having children, which is a trauma on the body, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention what postpartum does not only to your body as you are recovering from 
a trauma that you've just put your body through because yes childbirth is natural childbirth is beautiful etc cetera, etc cetera, and so on <laughs> but it is a trauma i mean like, it's not that beautiful it's pretty gross keegan i yeah. had to watch some videos in high school it's pretty gross it, it, i mean and, and what you're putting your body through yeah, is not something that your body if you're a first-time parent it's not something your body has ever been through before and you are having to recover from that. And then also, I know for myself, it would be a large battle with my self-worth afterwards. Mm-hmm. Your, because your body looks different. Well, and your hormones and your are hormones. all over the place. So even that, I feel like mm-hmm. everything that you may have already felt kind of bad about before is going to be magnified with the right. hormones. You know, <laughs> if your partner... And less, listen, we realize that this is all coming from a very heteronormative um, (laughs) space. But also, I mean, I've known, I've had, for instance, my old boss, uh, she, her and her wife had a child. And luckily, the company that we were working for at the time used paternity leave for her to be able to take off work. Yeah. But if they hadn't, she would have been in the same situation where, right. like, you, your partner has given birth and you are having to go into work. Yeah. Right? Where then your partner... Is stuck feels to do everything at home by themselves. Alone. With yeah. a brand new baby, with your body having gone through this trauma, with your hormones being, like all completely out of whack, and you're trying to get used to this new body you're in. And you have a whole new life, because suddenly you're not just living for yourself anymore. You have to, like, take care of a human. Yeah, I mean, and and it's it's really hard and scary. And until, until society catches up with the fact that, like, we need paternity leave. Because also... This is new for partners as well. Like, if it's a first child, this is not something that they have had to go through either, and no, it's and different. You should let both, like, and that's the thing is, if you're building a family, a family should not just be about a mother and child bonding. It should be about, you know, the father or the other partner, whoever it may be, being just as equally involved. And that's why, like, I don't remember skin time being a thing when right. I was growing up, mm-hmm. and now, you know, when. A baby is born, the other partner will let skin-to-skin contact with yes. the baby in order to feel that connection. Like, I think all of that is so wonderful that we've like made these discoveries and these changes in order for children to feel equally attached to both parents. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I also want to point out that the U.S. is the only industrialized country not to have paid preschool, um, nor to have guaranteed health care. So having a baby is also very expensive. I mean, when my sister-in-law, future sister-in-law, had um, her baby, uh, which was like 13 years ago now, her last baby, it was $10,000. Yeah. And they had insurance. So... <laughs> that's another thing to keep in mind is like it's having a baby at home Max is getting out the pliers you're he's like, just gonna cut the cord go for it I guess you know like, just get me really high on something get me in a bathtub <laughs> right I mean and, and si- seriously and not seriously please don't do that <laughs> and subsidized childcare is only guaranteed for the lowest income yeah yeah uh, families which is not good enough given how expensive it is. you have to be poor enough to get this help. But then for the people who are kind of in the middle who are like, hey, I'm still pretty fucking poor. Which is most people. Which is most people. Yeah. Most people are in that, in that bracket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, 
Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what has been coined the second and third shift, and we've, we've touched kind of briefly on this. So the second shift was a popular book by Berkeley sociologist Arlie Russell Hothschild back in 1989, and it detailed how most mothers worked full-time and then performed a second shift of caregiving and household responsibilities, which can oftentimes lead to burnout. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hi, uh, look, I work full-time and have two podcasts, and I'm tired. I can't imagine having a kid on top of it. There is, and I've got to say, there is something that feels different. Like, it's just the days where I've literally had to live at my job and be a mom, essentially, for those times where it's like, okay, the kids are done, but then I look at the dishes and the laundry yes. and the toys and the everything, and it, it's like, you, you can't just leave it. You're like, I have to do... And it's so overwhelming, and I cannot state enough how isolating it is either, because those things are not... They're not bringing you joy in your life. They're not helping you feel like yourself. It's just you constantly feel like you're living for right. another person or another thing, and then you're just doing it all over again. Well, and the kid doesn't understand no. why you need to take... Why you're not playing with them or not reading a book to them. Or, no, kids are assholes. Well, they just don't we get know it. This. They just don't <laughs> understand, like, why, why are you doing the dishes? Like, why can't you devote all your time to me? Like, yeah. without realizing that this is what it takes to keep a household running. Yeah. You know what I mean? So a large number of women read The Second Shift, and um, those women had entered the labor force but did not achieve equality at home, which is kind of what we were talking about and why I kind of give a little bit of credence to this idea that yeah. mothers need their own branch of feminism or bare minimum, they need their own support groups within within feminism. Definitely. So Hothschild called this a stalled revolution. And after the second shift was published, there were publications that referred to the third shift as perfectionism, carrying the psychological burdens of the family or mothers trying to continue their education. So on top of, say, you know, you had a kid, you have a job where you're working at a diner, all right. day, and then you're coming home, you're taking care of the kids, you're taking care of all the household tasks, you put the kid to bed, and then you have to, you're going back to school. So yeah. now you're doing schoolwork. So it's a third shift. So you, when do you sleep? Like yeah. you don't have time. Now, here's something that I found really interesting in this same art article, and this is all from a Psychology Today article. And that is that there is now, right this moment, although hopefully we are phasing our way out of it, a new third shift. And this is essentially talking about mothers who are working all day, doing household tasks, and now on top of that, because of the pandemic, having to engage in at-home learning. Yeah. Uh, where their kids aren't even going to school. So there is no There's respite. no relief. Yeah. There's no relief uh, from that situ situation. So once again, mothers are front and center in trying to help families stay afloat financially, emotionally, and educationally. And again, this leaves very little time for restorative sleep. As we were talking in the beginning of the episode, how yeah. important it is for people to be able to sleep. And I feel like, like, not even just sleep, but I feel like having... Self-care. Yeah, some you time. Because to me, it's like, sleep, I'm sleeping through it. I'm not aware of it. So, like, I want some time where I can just be, like, kind of, you know, snuggled up and be with myself, have a few moments to breathe, and then I can move on with the rest of my day. Absolutely. 
A study by Yale University earlier this year, or last year, I think 2020, found that mothers at home or working from home have experienced greater levels of anxiety and depressed mood than fathers. Yeah. uh, Who actually reported, fathers actually reported less anxiety when working from home. They're like, I don't know, this is great. Yeah. Well, because they're not doing any of the household stuff. We just listen to the statistics that you said. Right. You're like, I'm working from home, but I'm not doing all the cooking and the right. cleaning and the this and the that. So this and is it's, great. And it's it's important to remember that I think the vast majority of, maybe not all, okay, and again, we're talking heteronormative relationships, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think that the vast majority of these, in the vast majority of these relationships, they're not men who are being deliberately, no, like, and, shitty. No, <laughs> and that's the thing is that I think it, it is just this cycle of what it means to be a man and a woman in a marriage and as parents. Like, I don't think yeah. that it's, it's anything that guys are doing um, per- on purpose to be dicks. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. it's just one of those things Societally, that... they're less conditioned to think that they need to take it on. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So they don't even think about the fact that maybe they should be taking it on. Whereas women, we have this expectation, even for myself, where... You know, I feel like Anthony and I have a pretty copacetic relationship in that, like, he does the majority of the cleaning. I do all of the cooking, essentially. And I will have days where I'm very stressed. And even though I know I could say to him, like, I can't cook dinner today. Like, I I have too much going on. Um, I, I can't do it or I can't cook lunch. You know, I don't do that. Yeah. I still feel like it's my responsibility to be the one to do it, and I will just pile it on top of everything else oh, yeah. I have to do. Even though I know that, like, if I were to say that to him, he'd be like, oh, that's fine. We'll order a pizza. Oh, you know? totally. Totally. I mean, I, I have that issue, I think, just with past relationships. The guy that I was with last physically didn't know how to take care of himself, so I did everything. And to the point where if I see Max doing the dishes, I'm apologizing to him and physically taking the cups out of his hands so I can do the dishes instead. Like, that's how bad I am. Like, I don't, I, for me, especially not having a real job right now, to me, I think I feel like right now, like, that's my responsibility and that's what I'm putting my, like, my worth into, which is not a good thing either, but it's like, I am hyper obsessed with doing all of the housework right now. No, and I, I also do think that, yes, of course, those feelings are magnified when you don't have a day job. Yeah. But I also feel like you feel like that because we have been conditioned. I was very I much... I I have. Yeah. I was very much... Again, I love you, Mom. She's not listening to this, so it's fine. But, like, I was very much conditioned that we should be serving, literally serving our... Not only our husbands, but also our fathers and brothers. Like, yeah. I, I was actually, like... We should be clearing the table for... And I have three brothers. like, yeah, And that's kind yeah. of the mentality that existed. See, my mom just did it all. So I think for me, I'm just like, well, I'm going to do it all too then. Like, my mom, you know, would do the cooking and the washing up afterwards and all the laundry and all of that. And I think that, you know, as, again, same as, like, you... Whatever you're watching as you're growing up as well is kind of, like, what you learn for and, your role to be when And not you're just older. in your household, but as society... You know, so I, I get it that, like, my... My household was maybe more um, more strict in that way or more gendered in that way than other people's households. But I also feel like society in general, at large, in the West, 
in America. No, I think to some degree what you're saying is true for for most of us. I mean, I mean right. that's kind but of what, what I'm saying is like, it's a different, you know, I was never mm-hmm. told like you have to serve these people, but my mom always was the caretaker to everybody right. who wanted to get everything done. And I'm very much like her. And that was what I've watched and experienced. And we do have this, you know, I guess systemic thing in our brains that tells us that that's what we're here for. That's what we're good well, for. Well, and there was almost this pride, like, and I still feel that way. And that's something that I've worked through, <laughs> have not worked through. I'm working through what with, is my, it? with my therapist in that, like, there is this pride in feeling like you can do it all. Yes. You can do it all. I don't have to ask for help. Right. I don't have to have, even though I'm at my wits end and I'm exhausted. And I'm tired. I'm gonna do- and I feel like crying. <laughs> Oh, usually I do it at the same time. After a while, I'm, like, vacuuming the floor and crying at the same time. But I also tend to clean when I'm really anxious and stressed, and I'll take it out on my cleaning. Yeah. But it's no wonder, you know, given all of this, it's no wonder that worldwide women are almost three times more likely than men to report a mental health problem due to COVID-19 or during the pandemic. And this was bound to happen because, as we know, that extreme stress and worry can precipitate depression and anxiety. Yeah. Uh, A study of more than 10,000 people in 38 countries revealed that... Mother's worries are finances, caregiving, and access to health care, yeah. especially when it comes to their families yeah. and their children. Oh, because all you want to do is keep your kids healthy and safe. I can't imagine how hard it would be to think, like, I hope my kid doesn't get sick. I hope my kid doesn't especially get hurt. COVID, Especially during COVID. Especially during COVID. To think of the astronomical medical prices that we go through as Americans is absolutely crazy. Hey Ragers, I want to tell you about an absolutely fantastic movie that is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Academy Award winner Jodie Foster, Tahar Rahim, Shailene Woodley, and Academy Award nominee Benedict Cumberbatch star in The Mauritanian, the riveting and emotionally compelling true story of courage and survival against all odds. Based on the New York Times bestseller, Bring home the critically acclaimed film filled with all new exclusive bonus content, including an alternate opening, never before seen deleted scenes, and much more. Own The Mauritanian now on digital and Blu ray and DVD, May 11th. Um, I want to get us out of the heteronormative sphere for a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about transgender motherhood now can't speak from experience, but I don't want to leave them out of this conversation because I think that there is such a tie to womanhood and motherhood and and what does that look like to be a trans mom and things like that. So I read this uh, blog post that was a Medium article by a woman named Cassie Brighter and they were saying uh, one of the topics was pregnancy and childbirth are not quote proof of womanhood and that hit me really hard because I think that there is something whether you are trans, non-binary, cisgender, um, I feel like for women in general there is something you know, tied to our ability to reproduce, that we tie to our womanhood. Uh, Same thing with, you know, our reproductive organs, our breasts, things like that, that we tie to what we believe is 
womanly, right? Yeah, I I wanted to say that that is something that I actually really liked about that Ain't I a Feminist article, is that she did, Andrea O'Reilly, who was the writer of that, she did go out of her way to say um, that in in her, like, matricentric feminism bid, she wanted to include everybody, everybody who was basically a mother figure. So she's not only speaking about biological mothers, but of anybody who engaged in, quote, mother work. Yeah. So anyone who takes up the work of mothering as a central part of her or his life. Yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. It's a great point to make, because there are tons of, like, aunts and uncles who take on that role Or, like, legal guardians or adopted parents Mm -hmm. or foster parents or, I mean, yeah, there's so many different things of what it, you know, looks like to be a mother. Yeah. Um, And so this person who wrote the article went to something called the Empowered Trans Women Summit, and they interviewed other trans women who were parents, and many of them don't use the word mom for themselves, which I found really interesting. So she decided, they decided to run a survey throughout several trans groups on Facebook, and these were the results. And I just found this really interesting. So... 30.4% of trans women with children surveyed are addressed as dad or an equivalent by children. And I was thinking about this, and I wonder if... um, You know, the the first example that came to my mind was when Caitlyn Jenner first came out. Sure. And, you know, they filmed everything on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I remember Kendall and Kylie still calling Caitlyn dad. They still do. And they still do, right. And I I know that that's, that's a personal decision, but I also think that, you know, there's... I feel that we're kind of in a time right now where more and more people are coming out as non-binary and trans. Later on. Yeah, Yeah. so they've got kids who are already older, or even if they're still young, like, they might still know this person as dad, so I can understand why keeping that name would work. But there's some other uh, variations as well. About a quarter are addressed by their chosen name, so they're just called whatever name that they've chosen. 23.9 prefer being called mom, and 1 in 10 families use another names such as Bunny, Umi, or a mixture of mom and dad like Maddie or Mappa. And this made me think, so I'm hard of hearing if y'all have forgotten and my name is Maddie. When I'm in public and I hear children calling daddy, I think it's Maddie every single time (laughs) and I turn and respond to it every single time. So that would be so confusing for me hearing Maddie. Um, but I thought that was a really great one. I like Mappa too. Um, in this, I just love that families have the freedom and flexibility to look however they want to look now, because I just know that that, and of course, we're not where we need to be, right? Right. Like, that goes without saying. Of course, we're not where we need to be yet. I don't mean this to come across as though, like, all the problems are solved and everything's great. But I do love that these conversations are even happening at all. Like, and and we can talk about the fact that, like, families look different. Yeah, and And it's interesting because, like, I know that there's been... forever there have been these ideas that gay parents or trans parents cannot be good parents because of that fact you know there's because always been that a, debate a, a man and a woman in the house exactly you know? or the idea of changing gender you know quote unquote changing gender and having your children be confused or not understanding or blah 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 and in this kids article, will adapt to whatever you present them exact, with. Exactly, and that's the thing is that there is they were talking about the coming out to your children as being almost this like humanizing experience with them because you know 
I'm sure you had this with your parents as well. Being a kid, you put them on this pedestal. They're more yes. than human. They're mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And my mom definitely was one of those parents that was like, do as I say, because she didn't want to tell me about all the bad things she'd done in her life. She wanted me to think that she had made all these great choices. So I would make great choices where for me, I'm like, no, I wish I would have known that you'd fucked up and how you got yourself out of that. So I didn't feel so shitty when I made mistakes. Sure. You know? So I feel like there is something about humanizing yourself to your kids as well that I think is a very feminist notion. And when it comes to coming out to your children, I can see that as being a really positive thing. Of course. Because you're letting them in on who you are. And I think as a kid, whenever there's an adult that, like, lets you in on something, but especially you respect, you know, but especially a parent that entrusts you with something and you feel like you've got a bond that's more than just, I'm your kid and I have to listen to you, I feel like that makes... A, a parent-child relationship that much deeper, that understanding that much deeper of, like, your humanness, not just being a parent, you know? Right. I mean, and I think more than anything, introducing this as though it's something that is normal. Yep. Like, it's it's something that people are different. Like, And kids, like you said, will adapt to that. Abso- and are absolutely. To. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to kids, I, I truly... And granted, I do not have children, but I have two younger brothers who are considerably younger than me, and I've been around kids my whole life. I have a mm-hmm. big family, and I really feel like, to kids, it's no different than any other difference. Like, like my friends, Amy and Emerson, are having a baby, and yes. in, in lieu of cards, they asked for everybody to bring a baby book, and so I brought the... Um, the Sesame Street book that's we're all different, but we're all the same. Basically, like, highlighting people's differences and the ways in which we're all also the same, you know? And I feel like kids are very receptive to that idea. Well, and because I feel like kids want to know those things. Like, babies and children are such sponges, and they want to know. Like, they have so many questions. So when you're able to just give them what they're looking for in that way and be able to answer your questions. Like, I feel like that would be really satisfying as a kid. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think we also need to have more conversations, and luckily I think we are having more conversations about the fact that families look differently. Yeah. But what's important is who people are as people and the way that they can love their families. Like, I think that that is, is most important. And, like, so... I know that this is a motherhood episode, and so if you don't have anybody in your life that you call mom, yeah, just know that there are, hopefully, I would hope, I hope for you that you have a figure that you think of as filling that role for you. Like, yeah, it's it's so important, and it really is, like, I love that there are so many shows, TV shows out there that show the power of, like, your friend family. Absolutely, well. chosen just, family. Yeah, like, seeing how, you know, Families really can. Family can be whoever you see as. Yeah, as if, you, being if you've ever watched Pose, there's a reason I why. I was just, and I was thinking Pose when I said it because I'm in the middle of the second episode. I watched like uh, the first like 15 minutes of it before I left. Of the new season. <laughs> of the new season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they called them house mothers. Yeah. Right. And it's and it's 
that should really tell you that like motherhood is so much more than a biological yeah. thing that happens between a parent and a child. Yeah, like it is, it's like protection and unconditional love and having someone's back and home. yeah, it's home. You know, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna cry. I miss my. I haven't seen my mom since. January of 2020 when I saw her for like an hour. I really haven't spent time with her since Christmas 2019, Keegan. 2019. I'm I'm sorry. I've been lucky to see my mom. And I also, I do want to say, because I feel like between this and, like, I'm feeling sentimental, um, between this and, like, the purity episode and, like, other things that that listeners have heard on this this podcast, I don't want... I, I don't want people to judge my mom. <laughs> like, no, I don't judge your mom. I, I personally, and I, I think that's the thing, is that, like, and maybe I should start saying things more when you talk about your mom, because I've heard you tell enough stories about you and your family and your mom and things. Like, I don't have anything where I'm like, Keegan's mom was a bad mom. No, she was a wonderful mom. But I that's have the thing, really it, it, good relationship. I have a good relationship with my mom. And it can look like so many different things. And, like, you don't have to always agree with your mom. You and your mom don't have to be best friends. Like, it, like whatever your relationship is, is with your mom and hopefully it's a good one which I know you have like that's totally fine and I think that that's something that probably majority of our listeners can understand because I we get messages all the time from people talking about how they don't feel understood at home by their parents but there's still that love and respect there and you still have enough you still have a million other things in common with them and there's a million other great reasons that make them great people and great parents yes you know yeah i mean and your relationship with your parents can look i i feel like we've highlighted this in the past on our mothers and mother's day and father's day episodes when we've read stories from listeners and talked about our own parents and it can be complicated, and it can look all kinds of ways. Well, and, and mothers aren't perfect. They're just they're people. people. They're people. Yeah. And, like, I've seen my mom in all kinds of states. I She's made mistakes, absolutely, and we've talked about some of those mistakes. My and mom and I have switched. She's the kid now, and I'm the adult. <laughs> and, and we disagree sometimes. Yeah. And, like, we... It's not perfect. None of it is perfect. But at the end of the day... I know that she always did what was what she thought was best for me yeah. and that she loved me deeply. Well, and that's what being a good parent is. Right. And I hope for our listeners that you have that and if you don't have that from your biological mother, don't stop looking for it elsewhere because there are people out there who can give you that. It's it doesn't have to be the person who gave birth to you. I know that you probably want that yeah I was gonna say that's hard but I definitely going through not having a a really a dad anymore and going through kind of like finding that substitute father figure I I can understand how it like it doesn't ever really feel the same especially if you've lost contact with a parent like it's hard to get that same feeling back with somebody else but I think that's the beauty of growing older and evolving and meeting new people in your life and knowing that you're you're never really alone if just because one person doesn't agree with how you are who you are doesn't mean that you're not gonna find a million other people that are right you know and I think that's also kind of being I guess being a kid to a mother that's an important thing to remember okay so I had texted my mom earlier today and I asked her what she thought it meant to be a feminist mom and I did this because my mom is a straight-up boomer um I love how adorably boomer response this is she's the sweetest and I love her so much and I'm very thankful that she was able to send me such a great text response so quickly so thank you mom so this is what she said 
Being a feminist mom for me means recognizing the differences between growing up in a mid-class environment in the 50s and 60s and how our environment has changed for our children in today's world. I enjoy seeing, for the most part, a man or father sharing parenting today more than what was, quote, normal in my day, and women slash mothers being a huge part of the work world and setting an example of strong women in the workforce. The children today are seeing the line between gender roles fading into one. Once again, for the most part, they are the generation for change, for good, equal rights, hopefully you'll become human rights, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yeah, it's so cute. Um, but, I, but it reminded me of what we were talking about in the beginning of, you know, we were talking about the different waves and the changes of, like, you know, getting women in the workforce and doing all of that. So I love that she was mentioning, you know, the differences in what she saw when she was, you know, a kid growing up in the 50s and 60s, seeing her mom and dad interact, seeing how she's been as a parent, you know, getting into the workforce and things like that, and then seeing the gender roles shifting even more into, I guess, my generation seems like it's something that she thinks is, yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see that perspective and to think about how much that's changed since she was born in only 70 years. Yes. It's pretty crazy to think about. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, it's kind of wild to think about how much more things are going to be advanced by the time you and I are 70. Oh, we're going to, like, people, 70 years from now, someone's going to find this podcast and be like, this was going to, this was, like, This is regressive. I know, they're like, this is supposed to be, like, progressive. 100%. 100%. (laughs) They're going to be like, wow, this feels like some leave it to beaver bullshit. They're going to be like, you said that? word I oh my god and i'm gonna be like i'm so sorry believe it i know i know uh okay so i also asked my friend vanessa who uh these days she she goes out of her way in this text message to tell me that she doesn't have time to listen to podcasts anymore and i know you'll, you'll understand why uh but i wanted to reach out to her specifically because when i was doing reading on one how she feels as a feminist. She does have two boys, little boys. Um, Does she feel like the feminist movement left her behind? Because I I know that a lot of uh, mothers, feminist mothers, feel that way. And then specifically, I remember when the pandemic started, she was on maternity leave from having given birth to Mm -hmm. her youngest boy. And then because of the pandemic, she was let go from her job and had to find a new job during the pandemic with a young baby. I mean, really, those are just the worst circumstances that could have been stacked on right. her, she, for real. She had, I think, a, uh, an almost five-year-old or a five-year-old and a young baby at home. It's a lot. Five-year-olds are a lot. Yes, and he's a very energetic little boy uh, as yeah, well. I can imagine. I've seen some videos. Yes, and it was hard and I'm I'm used to seeing her a certain way mm-hmm. and when we had some zooms together or when we were able to talk she didn't even which I I love that she didn't do this but she didn't even try to mask how hard it was no and and you shouldn't right because she got a new job and she had to train <laughs> virtually and she had the kids at home and it was very very difficult it was very difficult for her so I asked her kind of how she was feeling and she sent me uh, a very long message of which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I did want to say that there were a few things that that I, I highlighted to talk about. And she talks about how her and her husband, Joe, who's also a good friend of mine, luckily they had a, a pretty equitable relationship in that 
he took on a lot of housework mm-hmm. and things like that. So they never had to have that gender roles conversation. And remind me, tell me if I'm right. Is he typically pretty much a stay-at-home dad for the most part? He's the one that's home more with the children typically? He is, yes. So he does have a... He works part-time, and then he's an actor. Right. He actually works pretty steadily as an actor, but it does allow him more flexibility, so he is generally... Right, but Vanessa's, like, the 9-to-5, has the structured job. She's the breadwinner, yes. Right, so... And that, I think, is a, a very different thing that I think a lot of families still are today. I think still a lot of the men are the breadwinners, where the women will have the part-time jobs, they can be home with the kids. So I think that in itself is a pretty feminist mom thing to have, is right. to have the dad be right. as involved as he is. But one of the things I actually loved that she said, though, was that they have a dog, and uh-huh. she, she said, I did have to just straight up say to him, you are responsible, or their dog's name is Monster. <laughs> she, said, <laughs> she said, you are responsible for everything that has to do with monster. Yeah, like yeah. I track the kids' doctors' appointments, like I do all of those things. You do the vet, you do the walk, you do the food, you do all that, right. which makes total sense. That is yeah. all on you. And she had to kind of dictate that. Yeah. Like this is I I'm not and I love that in a relationship when you can honestly say, "Listen, I don't have the bandwidth. I can't do it." I don't think I would be able to do that. So Bravo to you, Vanessa. I'd be like, I can handle everything. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not on fire. Everything is fine. Give me more tasks. <laughs> That's how I operate, too. It's no, not, you do. It's not productive. Uh, but she said, quote, where I still get tripped up is on the invisible work. This is like the planning and knowing what dates school starts and automatic payments for childcare, things like that. I'm a better planner than my partner, and that happens to be our dynamic. And some of that is a learned habit, and some of it we need to continue to work on so that it's a shared responsibility, not completely owned by me. I think that's a really good point, because when I was working for my last job, if ever I would ask the dad anything... He would say, I'm going to call the mom Sarah. He would say, that's a Sarah question. That's a Sarah question. It's like, you should be invested in learning the answers yeah. to these questions. You should know when, like, I mean, this kid had a million after school activities, but, like, you should know uh, some of the answers to the questions that I'm asking you. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, I did like, also, though, uh, she highlighted this for me, which I thought was very cool, because she talks about there are certain things... You know, as a feminist, sometimes you can feel guilty about enjoying domestic tasks yeah. or there are domestic tasks that you like. And I, I do think that, like, that is a silly thing we need to get beyond. Yeah, because yeah. you like what you like and maybe you like cooking and cleaning and, like, that's well, fine. We love to crochet and embroider and do, like, you know, super, like, old school domestic, like, yes, crafts, but, you know? But there is something, you know, to that. There yeah. is something to that. I'm seeing it more and more when it comes to weddings and marriage and things like that as well. It's okay to adhere to things that you feel like are traditional gendered roles. Just because you're a feminist doesn't mean that you have to fight against every single thing that is gendered, I guess, like, in your life. If you if you personally have made the decision that you like something, like, why the fuck not do it then? But she also talks about how, you know, now more than ever, the workplace is kind of looking at how your skills at home can be transferable into the workplace, which right. is something that I hadn't even thought of, yeah. which I think is is super cool. She calls it being the... My, my friend Vanessa, she's so cute. She calls it... Cute's a bad word. She's great. Um, 
she calls it being the chief operating officer of your household and totally and how it's building project management for your household it builds strategic thinking and it's essential to problem solving and i'm like that's absolutely true when you're trying to manage all the ins and outs of a household totally and so she says i am much more involved in the building tools and systems in the workplace that remove gender and other bias that's part of what she does for her job. So she then goes on to say, I was super excited that recently during the pandemic, LinkedIn came out with new options for stay-at-home mothers and caregivers so that when you have a gap in your employment, you can actually select that as a career Mm. so that women and men caregivers can actually choose that so that they don't just have to explain some personal situation on their LinkedIn or resume, that they're actually building it as a career move or an option and just showing that you don't lose momentum. I know this viewpoint is pretty specific towards career people with families, but I've always felt that. And I mean, I think that's I think that's a really good point because it's also it's driving home uh, something that I think a lot of us don't like to look at in ourselves, but how the things that we have a natural ability to do, even if they don't seem like they would be helpful in a work environment, like how your own just natural abilities and skills can be helpful. I think that's actually one of the most empowering things that I've heard, just because I know for myself, when I was working as a nanny, feeling like it was lesser than, or that's all I was, I didn't, I I really did feel a lack of autonomy. Because we diminish the work that women do. Yeah, and also thinking about looking for a new job and being like, well, I've just been a nanny for years, you know, and so thinking that that's not like a skill set of things that I've done. So it, 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 for me, I think that's a nice way of, of having perspective on the things that you do in your everyday life and finding the, um, the positives to it in yourself and how that can go into other parts of your life as right. well. Right. I mean, in her saying that it's specific to career people, I actually, yeah. I, I agree in that in this moment, it's specific to career people, but I actually think that, Moving forward in the future, this could lead to really incredible things for, say, you're a woman who has always been a stay-at-home mom, and Uh then something happens to your partner. Either you divorce or you lose your spouse, and then you have to get a job. Why is it that you would be unhirable because you haven't worked a quote-unquote real job when, in reality, the skills that you've learned as a stay-at-home parent um, or wife or whatever should be transferable to other things. And I think if we can move in that direction, it will do society good. Right, and, just... and, and opening it up for employers to ask those those questions, you know, as a stay-at-home mom, what were things that you did, you know, what were you, what was your planning like, and things like that, because it is, it's playing into that person's lifestyle and expertise and strengths in order for an employer to see how that would be beneficial. I think that's great, because again, it, it, it gives women the autonomy that I feel like so often, or people, I should say, the autonomy where I feel like parents so often feel that their lives can be diminished to just being the parent. So knowing that, you know, the the skill set that you have in your life every day is meaningful is good. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to read this kind of like last, um, it, it's a couple of paragraphs, yeah. but I feel like you'll enjoy it. Uh, things that keep me going are thinking about the legacy I want to leave behind with my kids. Mm-hmm. It's also easy to be mindful with children. Everything is in the moment, and you have to be aware. So it's nice to be able to get lots of smiles and hugs and kisses and focus on that. The pandemic has just been a very selfless time for parents, and in a way that is really hard to explain to folks who aren't in it. 
It has been relentless, which has been very special, but insanely challenging. I feel like my nervous system has been super vigilant for mm-hmm. way too long. It's been stuck in overdrive. It has felt like there are j- there is just never a chance to process anything. I remember early in the pandemic, the first few months, I had not cried at all, which is unusual for me. And the first time I actually cried was when I watched Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> And I had a big upheaval, and I was so happy for it because it let me release stuff. But I think I had just been in survival mode that I can't let down my guard. Yeah. And then, you know, she says a few more things, but but I wanted to read this last bit. I miss podcasts. I don't get to listen to them anymore and haven't in over a year. I miss TV shows and movies because I don't have time for them ever. But I'm lucky that I get to spend my time with two cute little boys and one amazing partner that I think will come out of this whole thing okay. So she said, you both do wonderful work. I miss listening to your voices. Well, you know what? It's totally okay. I understand. And, you know, it's funny because I feel like there would be this, you know, mourning of the things that you used to enjoy doing. But it is so nice that she's able to highlight. It's like, yeah, I don't I don't get to sit and listen to podcasts and watch TVs. But like for at this time in her life, because there will be a time when her kids are grown and she's going to be able to watch TV again and things like that. It's good that she has that reminder of like, but I've got my boys right now. I'm building this legacy. I'm building this and also, I feel like there is life. some there is some freedom in being able to say like it's okay to let some things go, yeah. and like I understand that this is like podcast listening and TV watching in some ways those are self care, yeah, and so do whatever you need to take care of yourself, but also don't feel like you have to keep up your pre baby or pre-pandemic or pre-pandemic and baby routine like it's going to change you're okay to change like you know and I think that's tough for a lot of people too and I can imagine for me you know when I do become a mother that finally realizing that like your life has completely changed. It's not just about you anymore, and I think that that's part of why I'm not a mom yet. Yeah, but I'm not ready. But you're able. But you're. But but obviously, she's so able to turn that into like. But that, but I don't get to listen to podcasts or watch the TV shows I like. But like. But that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, well, or, you know. Also, if you saw her babies, they're, they're so, so cute. cute. They're so cute. I know. That's so many pandemic babies that I can't wait to, like, squeeze. I've known so many people who have gotten married, engaged, had babies this year. It's Big celebrations coming up soon. Big celebrations. And so I do want to give a big thank you to your mom for giving her opinion and kind of her thoughts on everything. And I also, I didn't go into everything that Vanessa sent me, but I do want to thank her for taking the time to write in because... I was going to say, that was a very well-thought-out response for being right. as busy as she is. <laughs> and I straight-up told her. I, I texted her a couple hours before you came over, and I told her, I'm like, if you don't have the time, like, yeah. that's that's all right. Please don't feel pressured. But neither you or I are mothers, and so I definitely wanted the perspective of people who are in it, and particularly people who self-identify as feminists yeah. and what this means for you and what your journey is like and particularly in this very difficult time how has it been and do you feel excluded and you know because I do feel like the feminist movement can kind of just take mothers for granted because there is this idea that other issues have to be taken care of or you can just do it yeah you can just do it all you know and it's very hard yeah 
It's very hard. My my cats drive me crazy during the workday. I was just going to say, I wanted to let you finish, but I take issue with you saying that we're not mothers. I mean, we... <laughs> Excuse me, I have two dogs and you have two cats. How dare you say I am not a mother? And I love them dearly. <sighs> not human mothers. We are not mothers to humans. I've not all. had to birth a child. No. Uh, Although I tell my dogs that I birth them all the time. Is that weird? I mean, whatever it takes to get them to behave. Does I asked that work? Them how I made babies so furry. I'm like, how did you have so much hair? How did I make such a hairy baby? <laughs> Every mother who's listening to this is cringing so hard right I now. Know. They're like, shut up. Oh, I'm the worst with my dogs. I am the worst. My boyfriend and I refer to each other as mama and papa. It's bad. Uh, I, yeah, it's bad. We do too. We do too. It's, it is what it is. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Happy Mother's Day to Tammy, Keegan's mom. Happy Mother's Day to Liz, my mom. Happy Mother's Day, Liz. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. We hope that you will, I guess it'll be yesterday, uh, by the time you're all hearing this, we hope that you had a fantastic Mother's Day, whether you celebrating with your mother or not we hope that all is well uh if you have anything that you would like for us to talk about in the future go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist we have a facebook business and group page you can go to the group page and chat with your fellow listeners and then go to the business page and like us and leave a review if you haven't done so already and even more importantly if you have not left us a review on apple Podcasts, we would really really appreciate it so much if you would go hop your butts over there and do that uh that's all we have for today with all that being said we encourage you to To rage on. on bye contained herein are the heresies of radolf buntwine erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator join me as i uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague ridden world that ours is not a loving god and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.